0: So far in our series, Modern Biblical Family, what we've been doing is asking some really hard and some sensitive questions. And we're going to switch gears today and kind of head into the second half of this series. And what we're going to be doing is digging more into the Bible and what it actually says about gender and sexuality and marriage and family. What we've done so far is ask the questions. And now what we need to do is open up our hearts and listen to the answers that our Lord Jesus would give to us. Now, today what I'm going to do is talk a lot about marriage. For those of you who are single, um, maybe someday you will be married, so you need to take all of this to heart and be thinking about these things as you even date and have relationships. But maybe life for you, single, is the way you spend your life. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about that holy calling and that gift. So that that is coming. I'm going to come back to that particular topic because God has great gifts for us if we're called to the single life as well. What I want to do today is start off with uh, some of the great prophets of the 1990s. I don't know if you know there were prophets in the 1990s. There was a band called the Goo Goo Dolls. I don't know if you've heard of the Goo Goo Dolls. This would be like Pastor Davis era when he was growing up, okay? But on your sheet, your handout, there are some lyrics that I'm going to play the song for you. I'd like you to listen and follow along to these lyrics from the Goo Goo Dolls. You can actually hear in the music the the tension inside of this song. I mean, at first you have this, this sort of despair. You know, sooner or later it's over. Everything's made to be broken. This despair, like, that's it. And yet there's something deeper within him. There's this cry within his heart. What he really wants is intimacy with another person, and more than just sexual intimacy. He wants someone to know who he really is. I was joking before when I said the Goo Goo Dolls are kind of like prophets, but they are. They're speaking of deep mystery about who we are as humans. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be. I want you to know who I am. See, we want that, right? We all want that in our our human hearts. We, We want heaven. We want to know someone. We want them to know us truly. We don't want to be alone, do we? Now, when you think about it, isn't that the purpose of marriage? But in our culture, when somewhere around 50% of marriages end up in divorce, and then, of course, there's a whole lot of other marriages that don't split up, but they just sort of put up with each other, and they don't have any kind of intimacy of any level with each other, what so quickly happens to us is our hearts turn to despair. Despair. Instead of that deeper desire of our hearts to know who I am and for me to know who you are. In the gospel reading that I just read for you, the Pharisees want to talk to Jesus about divorce. Perhaps they had given up on the ideal of marriage, and maybe many of us have. But if you notice, Jesus redirects the question, and he points them back to marriage. He wants to talk about marriage, and he wants to talk about the ideal of marriage, the original created intent of what marriage is supposed to be. Jesus points us back to the very beginning. And if you want to follow along, it's there on your outline. He responds to them, and he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 1, and when a rabbi like Jesus quotes a passage of Scripture, he wants us to also go back and look at the passages around it. So here's a little bit more of Genesis 1. But God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, what's the whole thing about the them? As the Holy Trinity, God, you know, is a communion of three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here is one reason why gender really matters. He created them. There's something about the themness that reflects who God is. They're made in His image and likeness. And so, male and female complement each other, obviously. They can go together bodily, they can have a union with each other. They can have a communion of persons, just like God is a communion of persons. They can reflect and image him. Now, the word communion is a really good church word, right? We throw that word around. What does it actually mean? And, and what does it mean to experience communion? Because we're all made to experience communion, Well, the next thing that Jesus does for us, and if you want to flip your sheet over, he refers then to Genesis chapter 2. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, again, what we want to do is we want to think about everything that is in Genesis chapter 2, the words that are around it. So, here's just a few pieces. Genesis 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, we've been talking about this throughout this entire series. That we are as much body, made of the physical, visible, created stuff of the earth, as we are soul. Made of the invisible, divine stuff, the stuff of God. And here's the passage, right? That God breathed His own divine breath, His spirit, into our bodies. This profound unity of body and soul that makes us a person. This we, we've got to make sure we got this down because this is critical to understanding who we are as human beings. There's a couple of quotes there for you. The body, and it alone, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. And the body expresses the person. Hold on to those thoughts. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. The next thing that we learn is that the man is alone, at least at first. And God says that it's not good for him to be alone, so God brings to him the animals so that he can name them. And so what he does is he observes his body, and he observes their bodies, and the first scientist comes to a conclusion. He's not like them. And he's still alone. But he is made, as I said, in the image and the likeness of God, who is a communion of persons. So what he needs is a person like him to have a communion of persons. And that's when God says, then I'm going to make a helper. I'm going to make someone who's fit for him. And in a very tender and a beautiful scene, God puts Adam into a deep dream sleep, and Adam has to sacrifice something, like Pastor Davis talked about last week. He has to sacrifice his rib. But isn't that interesting? God takes from a place in his body that is so close to his heart, and he crafts a beauty that will fill that heart. And when Adam wakes up from that deep dream sleep, the music starts, the doors open, and God walks that beauty down the aisle to her husband. And this is when Ada, Adam, in, a, in an ecstatic, exuberant way, cries out, Yes, this is it! This is the one! This is it! This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is someone that I can have communion with, that I can give myself to this person. It probably would be something like this. This is a video from, uh, that was sent into one of those Home video shows like America's Funniest Home Videos or whatever. This is a real marriage. This is a real groom. I want you to check out and see how he reacted to his bride. I think that's more like Adam, right? Oh, glory, glory. You know, being a pastor, and I know Pastor Davis has seen this too, you stand up here with the groom as the bride comes down. I have watched many grooms just lose it over their brides. I've been that groom. Now, this wedding of Adam and Eve, though, there wasn't a tuxedo or a bridal gown, was there? They were naked. Well, that's awkward. That's awkward. No, actually, it wasn't awkward. Because remember, this is original. This is before sin. Adam and Eve were able to look at each other's naked bodies, and they could see each other purely. Wow. They could see the beautiful truth that their bodies are meant to go together. Remember what I was saying, that the body, the visible, reveals the invisible. The body expresses the person. With the body comes the heart. With the body comes the whole person. It's each person, him, her, giving themselves to each other. And so this two becoming one flesh reflects, as I said, who God is, this communion of persons. And the beautiful thing of all is that when it happens, when this man and this woman come together in this profound bodily union, the two persons can make the third person. And now you have an earthly tri-unity, a trinity, and we call that the family, man, woman, and child. The bodily union participates in God's divine creative work, creating life. And there's even more than this. You see, the marital union, the bodily union, the two becoming one flesh, is a sign. It is a sign that points us to an even more profound destination. It's bigger than just the couple themselves. The communion of a husband and a wife, as I've been saying, it points to who God is. That He is a divine communion of persons. But it also points to the communion that God wants to have with us. God wants to have communion With us, that's the ache of his heart. He's the husband, he's the one, glory, glory, he's the husband, singing over his bride. Because we, the human race, we are his bride. Every earthly marriage points, it's the sign that points to the heavenly marriage, pointing to our destination. God wants communion with us. This is why, friends, we gather this morning. He wants to have communion with us. He gives us the Holy Eucharist while we're here on earth. But this is why when it's all said and done, He's going to take us to heaven so we can have that happy, blissful union with Him and with the communion of saints. This is what we're made to experience. And so the sign of earthly marriage is pointing us to that destination. Hopefully that makes it a little clearer now. Because even though the amazing thing is that even though it's broken and, and things are really messed up in, in our world and in our society, what is it? Why is it that we still want to get married? All these people get divorced, but we still want to get married. We still want love. Why? Because we we want heaven. It's written in our hearts, we want heaven. That's the ache within our hearts. You are the closest to heaven that I'll ever be. Actually, you point me to heaven where I want to be. That's what marriage does. Marriage, and particularly the sexual union, my friends, it is so sacred and it is so divine. It is so much more than a bodily sensation. It is communion with another person, body and heart. It's participation in God's divine creative life. And it points us to the union that we will someday have with God in heaven. Do you think maybe that's why, maybe that's the reason why it is so blissful? Like a little bit of heaven? My brothers and sisters, do you see now why it's made for one man and one woman in a lifelong commitment called marriage? You see, it's too beautiful and it's too profound to be anything less than that. Okay, well, that's great, Pastor all that heaven talk. It's time for you, pastor, to kind of come back down to earth, right? Play the goo-goo dolls again because, pastor, that's the way it really is in life, right? Okay, yeah, I have that ache in my heart. Yeah, I want heaven. Yeah, I want someone to know me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? Everything's made to be broken. It only lasts for a fleeting moment. That's it. You know what? That's reality, pastor. Come back down to earth. Well, if that's you, And I say this with all reverence. I'm really sorry for how much you've been hurt. Because that's where that all comes from. It comes from the hurts in our life. I'm sorry for how deeply you've been hurt. We're going to get to this a lot more next week, but here's where I want to finish with a question. Who was the one who pointed us back to the beginning? To the original created intent for our sexuality and our marriage. Who was the one? Go ahead, you can say it out loud. Jesus. Thank you. I mean, Jesus is, of course, always the right answer. If you never know, just shout out, Jesus, and you're probably gonna be right. You're good. Never go wrong with saying Jesus. But Jesus points us back there. So he's either doing one of two things. He is either rubbing our noses and what we have lost and what we can never have. Or, more than our teacher, and he is our redeemer. And our redemption is more than just the forgiveness of the guilt for our past mistakes. Our redemption is taking all of that forgiveness and that grace and rebuilding our lives and reordering our lives and realigning our lives with this original intent that God has given to us. No matter how much we've messed it up in the past, there's always this opportunity for redemption to come back into alignment with what God has done for us, what he created for us. See, that's what I'm driving at. Jesus points us back to the beginning because absolutely this is God's intent. This is what he wants for us. This is God's gift for us and he wants us to have it. Now, To be perfectly honest, of course, it can be a very difficult, hard road. It can be a very slow process. But with the grace, not not, not on your own, but with the grace of God, with his forgiveness, with the healing that he can work in our hearts, we can have this. We can experience this. Some of us have just given up. I know we're not perfect, right? Yeah, I I got it, right? I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, got it. But what Jesus wants to do is to start perfecting us. Please, 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 don't ever tell Jesus. Do not look at that cross and say, it's impossible. That is such an insult to what he has done for us. With him and what he has done for us, all things are possible. What we have got to do, friends, is we've got to pray. We have to pray for the transformation of our marriages. The work has got to be done inside of us, in our hearts. We've got to pray for the transformation of our marriages. Now, don't pray, Lord, fix my spouse, because that's where the problem is. Don't do that. You know what? Pray this. Lord, transform my marriage. Or if you're maybe preparing for marriage, prepare my marriage. Transform it and start with me, Lord. Start with the hardness of my heart. And the forgiveness that we receive, which has been so abundant, we can learn how to forgive. I mean, really let go of what has been done to us and what we've done. And the guilt that we carry, let go of that, and then that begins to open us back up again, and we can learn how to trust a little bit more. We can open up those naked, vulnerable, fragile hearts of ours and let someone else in there so that they can know who I am. I can really experience that intimacy that I so desire. And we can learn to love, because Jesus has loved us so selflessly and so purely we can learn that love is not taking the other for myself but giving a sincere gift of myself for the sake of the other. We can experience this, friends. We can experience marriage truly. With God help, with the Lord's help, we can experience another person coming to know who I really am and I'm really knowing who they are we can experience a little bit of heaven. I'd like to just give you a moment in your own way and in the quiet of your own heart now to pray for marriage. Pray for your marriage if you are or maybe if you will be, hope to be someday. And pray for marriages, just others maybe that you know, maybe people you know who are really hurting right now. Take it to the Lord in prayer, please.